BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and before you decide to marry someone and say, like, this is what I envision this looking like, is that something that is compatible with your vision mm-hmm. or whatever? Because, uh, again, basically... Ba- the nature of what I do, I'm a divorce lawyer, is seeing a lot of situations where I'm like, how did you end up with in a relationship with each other? <laughs> like, you two? That doesn't make sense. And, you know, I think that's what I think, again, I think is admirable about, about you because you said, you've said before, you know, you had what you were looking for in your wife. You met the one who found, who, you know, checked those boxes. I feel like a lot of people don't actually do that. And they just sort of <laughs> fall in. Yeah, yeah. I think people just sort of fall into relationships. Um and you know they they stay together for a certain amount of time all of a sudden they're like i guess we should get married i don't know and you know that's why you see such a high divorce rate what is up everybody my name is kyle matovic i am the host of the in liberty and health podcast where we talk all things liberty health and wellness and beyond my hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right, everybody, this is In Liberty and Health, episode number 186. Today, I have Miss Meredith with me. We met off of uh, the great Twitterverse. Anyways, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? I just realized my last name's up there, so... um, They they will not see that, because I believe I took okay, the uh, names off the video. Um, okay, if cool. not, I, I should be able to get that out of there. We'll I try to keep that off my, uh, my internet profile, just because of what i do and stuff yeah you know i I, in hindsight i probably should kept that off of mine because my dad does own a own a business and uh that we do have obviously the same last name but uh you know thankfully nobody gives a shit about me that much yet to go out of their way to harass people so yeah (laughs) yeah i used to like i used to have it up and when i became a lawyer and people started to actually be like i'm gonna contact the bar association because you're mean or racist or whatever and i was like oh fuck so i I took it off Mm -hmm. wow yeah i can't really believe people are that fucking petty um yeah yeah, it just seems like as we kind of go down the line of more and more government and this culture war just heats you know hotter and hotter and hotter the people just get so fucking dumb about 
everything and i'm seeing it from both directions at this point um everybody who disagrees with you is a demon or everybody who disagrees with you is a racist bigot and a nazi Uh, i'm just like so fucking sick of this shit and and, like i like a lot of the religious people and then like i'm starting to meet more and more left-leaning people i really like these people too but you know each side is trying to tell you that you can't be friends with the other side but i'm like man look i just want to like wear black play heavy music talk about political stuff and talk shit on Twitter. Is that too much to ask for? It's way too much to ask for in this in this world, apparently, where everything. I mean, God, thank God, I'm older than you, so I'm. I just turned thirty five. Had the internet been what it was when I was growing up, like now, whole I I couldn't. Have, I would have been unemployable. Mm-hmm. The stuff that I did. Yeah. Do you ever um look back at old facebook posts and think like wow holy shit old facebook posts twitter posts or anything like that and just think like man i deleted facebook for that reason <laughs> just they're that bad you couldn't stand it anymore yeah oh, yeah God, and i, I got clowned on recently for some old tweets um and i was like where i was quoting a rap song and i used the n-word with the a mm-hmm. uh some people from black twitter found it and they were like what and i was like yeah <laughs> I guess I shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, so are you sorry? And I was like, I, if you personally are offended, I will apologize to you, but I'm not going to apologize to the world. Um, my bad, you know? I forgot I tweeted that. Yeah, so you I'm not both- like, oh, I'm not sorry. falling for this shit. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, 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 that's okay. Yeah, just this whole, you have to condemn things on command is just so ridiculous to me. I was in kind of like a little Twitter, I don't even want to say a debate, but like an exchange with somebody over um, the Libertarian Party of Florida. And I do find the Libertarians in Florida to be rather insufferable, um, despite the fact I do like a decent bit of them. (laughs) Are they? I don't really know much about them. Yeah, no, no, no. You, you might be better off. Um, somebody said, oh, well, Hector Roos running for governor should be condemned as feckless and something else. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I- I'm not going to condemn this. Like, I really don't care that much. And like, if you guys really think the fucking Libertarian Party is going to steal the election from DeSantis, you're out of your fucking mind. And then look what happened. I mean, you should see what goes on in California. Mm. Um, I'm not, I don't want to trash us, but we have some real insufferable tendencies over here. So sure. it's hard to even pay attention to what goes on in some of these other shit shows. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have run against DeSantis, but hey, I'm not going to condemn the guy. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, what it's... are you doing if you're not trying it out, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, to me, is ridiculous. But I mean, you know, you're making a message, but at the same time, it's like you realize like this is just going to crash and burn so hard. But um, you know what? Okay, so you live out in California. I the furthest yes. west I've been was Las Vegas. Actually, funny enough, uh, we were just talking off air. I was telling you I have a picture of my wife and I sleeping with our pit bull four years ago. Um, around that time, actually, about a month prior to that, we were actually out in Vegas, and it's the furthest west I've ever been. Um. What is it like out in California? Is it everything that it's cracked up to be? Is it not everything it's cracked up to be? What has been kind of your experience as I'm I'm assuming that you're a libertarian because you run in libertarian circles. Yes. Um I I I haven't quite seen you ex, um explicitly say that, but um yeah, so what what's that kind of been like for you? Well, so I moved out here in 2002 from Philadelphia. Um oh, okay. so it was the summer, yeah, it was summer of 2002 oh. right after I graduated from middle school which is, you know, junior high or whatever. Um, So, you know, I went into high school in California, which was fine because it it was kind of a transition time anyway for people. So it was probably the best time for someone to move. Um, Very different than Philadelphia. 
uh, and I really liked it. I liked, I mean, the the nature and the weather. It's like it's hard to because when I think about like wanting to leave the like the commie nonsense here, I'm like, oh, but the weather. And you think like, God, that's such a stupid reason mm -hmm. to put up with it. But it's like I wear the same clothes all year round. Um, in the summer, when it gets dark, it gets, you know, cool and you can be outside and it's not crazy. There's not a ton of bugs. Like, I don't know. There, there's nice things about it. Um, people are cool. There's a lot of transplants in California. So you're meeting people from all over. Um, and I live in the Bay Area. So that's not LA. It's San Francisco area. And um, there is a, a lot of wealth here. So you do tend to find um, in wealthier areas, more conservative types. And it's pretty interesting to find those people. But, you know, I also went to school, um, high school in, it was a private school. I'm one of those. And um, the people who went to, a lot of people that went to the school came from Berkeley and Oakland. So I fully, you know, have friends whose professors are like, whose parents are professors at Berkeley, you know, hippie as fuck. And I know all of them. And, you know, we, <sighs> that's why it's hard for me to fully condemn leftist because i grew up around them and i'm like you know we totally disagree on politics but i know them as people before i know them politically mm -hmm. so and i feel like that's why i get away with some of the things i do in my friend groups now is because these people knew me first as a person before the politics um so it's hard to fully condemn people like that because i'm like you know they're just misguided mm -hmm. <laughs> that's all i can really say for that like but it, it's annoying it's definitely annoying okay so i yeah. avoid it Right. One one interesting thing that you kind of elaborate upon there. Um, I, I've gotten frustrated with this and like before people jumped down my throat because I feel like people are just waiting to call me a leftist at any chance. Like I, I grew up in fucking blue collar areas, right? I mean, I walked my dogs just a couple of minutes ago and there's Trump flags still everywhere. I've worked for fucking automotive dealerships for 10 years now. So I mean, I know the blue collar base like the back of my like the mm -hmm. back of my fucking hand. My dad's a small business owner. Um, I have a lot of empathy for left leaning people. Jesus Christ, he's gonna be chewing that fucking toy the entire time okay. <laughs> but I uh dogs. yes 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 um um i i see a lot of libertarians and right-leaning people saying the left is the enemy it's like okay well who do you define as the left because this is a very very wide swath of people who like you said i think are generally misguided and when you talk to these people face to face they don't want you dead and that's always the fucking just cringy claim i see all the time they want me dead what when was the last time a democrat a fucking like blue collar union democrat came up to you and said they'd like to see you line up against law probably right. never and i don't think no. um, and i think an overwhelming majority of left leaning people really don't feel that way they just see inequity and they think that this is a consequence of capitalism and the government that we live under and they think their worldview solves those problems yeah i think your general economic leftist um social liberal is more like what you just described there is a faction of them it's typically somebody who if i'm going to borrow their language for a minute occupies multiple um marginalized identities mm -hmm. that they're the ones who will become like you know you fucking bigot not no you cut out there i don't know what put you up against the wall types <laughs> yeah, um i i don't know if you saw olivia you know olivia rondo mm -hmm. she had retweeted um some guy today being like i had to tell my parents my 84 year old dad or whatever that if you vote gop 
like you're not you're not allowed to vote GOP if you want me in your life. And then he wrote them an email and like screenshotted mm -hmm. it. And it was just sad. And I was like, see, that's the kind of left that's that like, I can't see eye to eye with you because yeah. I don't think that Republicans want gay people dead. Well, okay. So like to that point, there would be a lot of right wingers that would do the same thing. And I think a lot of right wingers and libertarians want to dismiss that and say that, oh, right wingers are a lot more tolerant than that. But I really don't think that's true because listen, no, I, I work either. with these people. And if you tell them you vote for Joe Biden, they'd look at you like you have six heads. Fuck, like the, the people I used to work with looked at me like I had six heads when I told them I, I voted for Joe Jorgensen. I mean, I donated to her campaign too. And it's not like I'm absolutely in love with her, but I mean, she's a libertarian right. candidate that I chose to support. Um, it, There's just assholes on both sides. And just because one, you know, one asshole aligns with you more than the other doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, people within this faction that are unreasonable people. I mean, that's not a political ideology thing. That's just an unreasonable fucking person thing. For sure. It's funny that because I've never been on the side really that you're on. I've mm -hmm. always because I went from Philadelphia to California. <laughs> so I've always been like, you know, the girl who's like stands out from the really liberal types yeah. so it's funny and whenever i hear a story like yours where you're coming from the other end it's like i just blows my mind because i couldn't imagine being in that position yeah yeah well that's why i've kind of enjoyed reaching out to left-leaning people and like I went to that Rage Against the War Machine rally, and I got to kind of be really close so to a jealous. lot of left. Yeah, well, it was it was really really cool. So I'm hoping they have uh, more rallies like that. But um, I, I just never really got to be around these kind of people, and even like the musicians that I play with, they're mostly right leaning people because they're all like you know small business owners. They work blue collar mm -hmm. jobs. So even like in the music industry, I don't get to interact with these people a lot. But um, you know, it, it's. One thing that you also kind of said earlier is that once again, you know these left-leaning people face-to-face, -face, and one thing that um, plays into that that I talk about a lot is this relationship capital. So like you already have built a foundation of like friendship with these people, so they're already more likely to listen to you and hear you out and then have faith that you're coming at them in a reasonable way and you're not going to undermine their credibility or, saying, or take them in bad faith. Um, I feel like if we approach a lot more political relationships or even just relationships in general that way, then we'll get a lot further rather than like finger wagging people and telling them that they're an idiot because they're a leftist and a terrible person. Like I, I just, I can't stand this binary that people fall into. Yeah. I actually made friends with like an Antifa guy um, on Twitter that way. Uh, back in like 2017, um, we talked back and forth for a little bit being like snipey with each other. And I saw he was from the Bay area. So I said, Oh, you're from the Bay. I'll, I'll buy you a beer sometime back when I used to drink. Um, I'll buy you a beer sometime. And we started DMing and I was like, where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, he told me he was an anarcho-communist. And I was like, cool. Um, this was before I was full ANCAP. This is, I've been like a libertarian since probably 2007, but never full ANCAP until more recently. Um, and I said, hey, why don't you tell me uh, what's a really great anarchist book or writing? And he, he pointed me to Emma Goldman. And that was like a foundational, Emma Goldman was like a foundational thinker for me becoming an anarchist so talking to this antifa guy actually made me get to be more libertarian um and you know he's a cool guy i joked with him when he wanted to meet up i was like actually i don't know i don't want you to like bring your friends and like you know steal my phone and call me a nazi but we never actually did meet up but we're still friendly but yeah i mean like that's an antifa guy like we couldn't be further apart in some ways but in other ways we both see the same corruption the same problems it's just and it sounds so cliche to say but we see the same problems but we have different solutions mm -hmm. and that's what it is yeah and, and you know i think that's perfectly okay and 
I think at this point we are kind of, I don't want to say up against the wall because that is hyperbolic, but um, when it comes to like the war stuff, um, there are no right wingers that know their ass from the hole in the ground when it comes to anti-war stuff. And like, don't get me wrong. I'm grateful that Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates are good on Ukraine. But like, if you ask them about China or Mexico now, like this is a big fucking thing. The, the fucking, yeah, the, the little foil. Yeah. Like her fall from grace has like broke my heart completely because yeah. I, I, people bust my balls for going so hard after the right wing, but like, they're just almost there but then i see this shit i'm like this looks like the fucking anthrax letters like you're literally calling for war on the cartels like this breaks my heart to say that you know base q mommy is now fallen out of my favor because she's calling for war with mexico like it, it, you were so good you were so close yeah and china too it's funny like if you talk yeah. to patrick mcfarland which i know you do and yeah. talk to him about <laughs> uh china stuff it's like holy shit like even some of the things that you know, I believe for so long, like I fully believe the Uyghur genocide thing since like 2017. I was like, oh, you know, the Uyghur genocide, blah, blah. And have him break it down in like five minutes and be like, oh my God, I don't know anything. Yeah. It's just crazy. But yeah, it's funny because I actually came from more of that um, neocon life, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I was like, you know, 18. But, um, it's just i remember just and i think i think for me it was just more of like a joke of like you know america fuck yeah like back to back <laughs> world champs like that's the kind of reason that i sort of aligned with them and i never really thought about it other than just being like well we're the best we're the best blah blah, blah. um but when i really started studying particularly the wars in afghanistan and iraq that's when i totally flipped and i was just like oh this is not right like and then you really go into realizing, okay, if I'm against taxation, I'm against the military, I'm against mm -hmm. wars, because that's how it's all funded, and it just, you have to get there, but it's just amazing the cognitive dissonance with someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who can say, you know, Ukraine is the biggest laundromat of our money at this point, yet she'll, she'll be happy to flip that over to China, and it's just like, or Mexico, Yeah, I mean, come on, lady. Yeah, so I'm not that geographically familiar with uh, California or actually anywhere in general because I'm just a fucking idiot. But uh, <laughs> so uh, I had somebody that follows me on Twitter had mentioned that she said if there were to be violence against the cartels, she thinks that it would get pretty ugly as in like some of the people who are parts of the cartels would like react very, very poorly to that. So I don't know if you have any experience or if you see that where you live or like, what are your thoughts surrounding that? Yeah. I mean, it's possible. I, um, my second year of law school, I did an internship with a organization here that, deals with juveniles um mm -hmm. on gang probation typically trying to sort of like say okay you're here now but like this is how you navigate the criminal justice system and you're lucky you're here now as a juvenile mm -hmm. because we don't want you back here as an adult right. um and they're fully like uh clicked up like north south all that stuff that's super real one of the kids actually um one of the few southerners we had ended up getting killed during the program shot in the head while he was on a swing set Jesus. um so, yeah, I mean, I don't know how deeply those types are connected with the cartel types, but I know, I mean, go to San Diego, it'll take you half an hour to get into Mexico, mm -hmm. uh, if that. So I'm sure, especially in Southern California, you know, it, things get real rough.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have to imagine that, as usual, what our foreign policy will do is drive people out of their homeland. And it's so funny because they're so hawkish on the border situation. They want to militarize the border, but then you're literally going to do everything you can to get them to come over to our country because, okay, if you don't want immigrants here, that's fine. Um, I I kind of like walk back and forth with this because I understand the argument that like if you're bringing people over who don't share the values that we share, then they're definitely going to vote in a different way. But I, you know, how many of those people come over here to vote in favor of you know policies that you and I would like to see? I I don't know. I mean, there's just so much kind of digging to do there, and I think one side's going to say, you know, oh well, they're all going to vote for leftist stuff, and they're going to see that in a good light, and then the other side's going to see it in a bad light. Um, I don't want to say it's somewhere in the middle. I just don't know. But if yeah. you go drone bombing the border and starting a war on, you know, the border of Texas and Mexico, you have to imagine that some of those people are going to say, well, I no longer want to be in Mexico because they're not bombing in Texas. Of course. I mean, and it's like the only reason we didn't get the situation that Europe's in right now with their refugee crisis is because there's an ocean separating us. Right. But you put the situation in Mexico and we we become Europe. Go read Douglas Murray, The Strange Death of Europe and see how well that worked out. You know, um, I actually, I, I'm super torn on the immigration issue as well. There's part of me that's fully like people should be able to go have freedom of movement. And then of course my private pr- property brain comes in and we have that issue as well. But I think it's interesting because I think a lot of times we do think of people coming from south of the border Central uh, America, South America, um, as voting for leftist policies. But it's so interesting because culturally they're much more to the right. And I don't know if you're familiar. Do you, you're probably too young. There's a thing, Prop 8 in California, it was in 2008. It was um, for gay marriage. I can't remember if it was you vote for it or against it, yes or no, but it was voted down. So I guess it was like not approving gay marriage. And the primary people who voted it down were blacks and Latinos. And everyone was shook because they were like, what? These are our, like, these are the people that we like, but they're more socially conservative. So it is interesting. Uh, I don't know if they are technically always going to be inclined to vote that way, but some definitely are. The Cubans definitely aren't, but they're kind of different. Yeah. And that's the other thing is that, you know, oftentimes a lot of those cultures are painted homogeneously. But, um, you know, to me, I don't think it's entirely obvious that every single culture outside of America is like a left wing culture is going to prefer or is going to prefer Democrat policies. Now, I do believe that um, people who can get stuff for free and vote for stuff to, you know, get things for free, they're going to do that because once again, it's in their self-interest. But at the same time, you have to imagine that some people are escaping, you know, the tyranny of one country to come to the lesser tyranny that is here. But, you know, when we're talking about tyranny and liberty in these terms, everything's going to be relative to a certain degree. So, you know, tyranny to us would be like freedom to somebody from, let's say, North Korea or possibly even China. For sure. Um, So, you know, if these people are coming over here, then perhaps they're looking, you know, a higher standard of living, which may mean them being a little bit more capitalistic entrepreneurial or you know seeking adventures that would actually raise the living standards of everybody around them so maybe you know immigration in this situation might be a net positive but once again that's that that's a lot of nuance that you don't get with yeah. the open close the border debate or open or closed border debate for sure and it's funny too because there is this odd stereotype that comes out and uh from more people on the right of like 
um, immigrants coming here and like, you know, sucking on the teeth of the government and they're lazy, blah, blah. blah. And I'm like, you want to see some of the most hardworking people you've ever seen in your life go to, you know, a Home Depot and get the day workers and they will do whatever. Like, I think Dave Chappelle or someone had the joke of like, you're cleaning up 9-11, give it to 100 Mexicans and it'll take a day. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's, it's, you know, but it's true. I mean, none of these people... I mean, not none, of course, there's always going to be them. But like the idea of immigrants just coming here for, you know, to lounge around is also very silly. And it's kind of, you know, it's funny, too, because I, I did mention, you know, the uh, the Middle East uh, refugee crisis into Europe. But why do you think we're seeing the mass immigration that we're seeing from places like you know, Guatemala, Ecuador? It's like, you know, our policies for a long time that nobody really likes to talk about did lead to the circumstances being what they are so that people would want to come here right yeah i mean you put embargoes on these countries south of our border and then you make their standard of living so terrible that once again they're going to say okay well over there they're not dealing with the same stuff so why don't we just go there um and and, you know once again the the right wingers have put two and two together why don't we just leave that country the fuck alone so that way they can rebuild and if they want to have their communist hellhole south of the border um we have a big enough country we have enough guns and stuff like that that if they were to try and invade here we'll be able to fight that off it's no problem and and, i mean it's even silly to think that cuba is going to come up here and bring communism like that's just silly on its face but yeah this just reminded me uh, this just reminded me i wanted to ask you because um where are you on it just i don't know why this conversation reminded me of romania which mm-hmm. made me think of andrew tate um because one of the things like i'm actually a big fan of the tates uh i got really into them around christmas <laughs> okay, time yeah. and uh i just think it's funny because i think i think what, they're, what how, what's being done to them is a travesty obviously just in terms of like their human rights and stuff mm-hmm. but um i do think it's kind of funnily ironic that andrew tate picked romania because of its you know ability to be corrupt with law enforcement and now he's getting fucked by that corrupt system but yeah are you a fan of his uh this may come as a surprise but i'm actually not that familiar with andrew tate um oh, okay I, everything i've heard from him i liked other than um kind of like this polygamous or the promotion of polygamy um mm-hmm. it, in my mind, and this is actually a good pivot. I'm glad you kind of brought this up because I didn't want to touch these subjects as well with you. Um, I don't think men do good when their women or the women they want to be with are polygamous. Um, I think men can do fine with multiple women and women don't have the same instinct that men do when it comes to like mate guarding, perhaps. Maybe yeah. that's that's not a perfect word for it, but like we want to know the kids ours. So if... Mm-hmm we know that our woman's cheating on us then that is like biologically drives us fucking nuts and it took me a long time to accept this that like i'm a very jealous person but maybe i'm not (laughs) maybe it's just my biology says like that's an existential threat you know your girlfriend talking Mm -hmm. to another guy threatens your bloodline right so and that's obviously why you know my wife like doesn't talk to other guys well actually the way i kind of word that all together is like i make her don't do it but she's she just doesn't talk to other men right that that was one she doesn't demand attention from other people so that kind of puts my mind at ease in that regards um but what he does promote like you know obviously self-improvement and then also being sociable and being like good to women and being able to understand intersexual dynamics i'm totally on board with that because i I do think men dating non-exclusively kind of like 
in in the way of like just being a more social person, I think is a good thing. Like if you're going out on dates and you're learning how to interact with women in a positive way is a good thing. But when you see like these guys on Fresh and Fit, which I do like that podcast, but it, it, you take the good with the bad. Um, yeah. When you're just clowning women for the sake of clowning women, that's kind of where I get turned off. But like, if you can teach men to operate in, you know, the world today as it stands, where it benefits both men and women, I'm all about that. And specifically in terms of men just kind of understanding how the cards are for them. So um, as usual, I try to tell guys like when it comes to the manosphere, take the good, leave the bad and kind of understand what you want to get out of your relationships. What's up, everybody? Um, we're going to take a quick break and tell you about the show's sponsors. Um, we are brought to you by Element T Electrolytes. I've been using this stuff for years. And what I've honestly found is that if I didn't have electrolytes before some kind of cardio and sometimes even before workouts, that my workout performance or definitely cardio performance would suffer greatly. Um, Sodium is responsible for every single movement pretty much in your entire body. And let's say you drink a lot of caffeine like I like to do, then um, maybe it is a good idea like I do every single morning. Um, Put some LMNT chocolate electrolytes um, there in your coffee to get a little bit more sodium, potassium, and uh, magnesium in your coffee so that way whatever diuretic effect you get from the caffeine is pretty much diluted by the fact that you put chocolate salt in it. Um, also, it tastes really, really good. Get some uh, chocolate creamer, hazelnut creamer, or even coconut, and uh, mix that all up. It tastes really, really good. So, uh, yeah, make sure you drop by, go to drinklmnt.com slash health and uh, pick you up some electrolytes today. All right, guys, thanks. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because that's kind of like what I said to you when you were talking about doing a podcast. I'm like, I'm a like a female misogynist, but also sort of a feminist. <laughs> so like, and I, what that's what I agree with you about. You need to take the good of the manosphere, but like, don't dive all the way into the deep end. Because mm-hmm. what I don't like that Fresh and Fit and those types do is that they take your baser instincts, you know, your... um well, men are programmed to like variety. So I should just expect that um, I'm a high value man. I'm going to have multiple women and they're all going to be faithful to me, but I'm just going to do it because that's just what it is. And I'm like, okay, well, we're not animals. You should be able to know that about yourself. Men like variety and figure out a way to control that instinct. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is, I mean, the same with women, like, Women love resources, okay, but, um, you know, you shouldn't go after somebody that you don't like or aren't willing to commit to just for their resources. That's fucked up. Mm -hmm. And so this is why I don't like, and I hate being one of those both sides people, Yeah. but it it does kind of come out that way because I always say, like, I just because feminists got super fucking annoying online, especially like the liberal feminists, which is something we can sort of get into if you want the difference between liberal feminism and radical feminism, it's probably not interesting. But um, because they got super annoying, it turned into every woman who makes a point about sexism or whatever, we can just dismiss. And it's like, no, you can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some stuff that really goes on out there. And the, the fucked up part is most of the stuff that women want to change about the world is stuff that has to change solely in my opinion through interpersonal dynamics and teaching people 
teaching your children, teaching whoever you can how to act. These are not things you can legislate. And the problem mm -hmm. is people trying to legislate them, people trying to do, you know, um, quotas for having women, a certain amount of women. Oh, there's only three women on the top 100 CEOs. That's wrong. No, you. that's not how you do it. You can't change the way people behave through legislation. You can or I mean, you can, but they're not going to change your thinking. They're just going to say, okay, I got to follow this rule, but I really think this. And that's what I think you see a lot online with a lot of younger men these days, men in our circles, men all over the place. There is this sort of hatred of women that is very pervasive and profound, yet they're not going to get called on it because people are so sick of that whiny feminist side that mm -hmm. they're sort of letting that shit slide. Yeah. So like this is kind of where the MRA and feminist debate kind of goes. Right. And, and I know I joke about being a misogynist all the time, but I mean, like I, I've never said this publicly on the podcast, but I mean, I, I literally did two benefits for women with breast cancer and gave thousands of dollars to these women to take care of them. Right. I mean, my mom had breast cancer three times. Um, obviously I'm married now. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I do love women that mean a lot to of me, course. but like the thing is, is that I also understand that like what men seek from women, typically what a man will really want, they're not going to get in women, right? Like we want women to love us the way that we're expecting them to love us. But the mm -hmm. truth is, is that, you know, we're not wired in that way, right? Like women, we can't be mind readers. I know this sounds like a lot of just kind of hooey tooey bullshit, but um, the way that like we want to be appreciated, but women aren't necessarily going to sit here and tell you all the time, oh, good job, honey. You know, you did great. Um, men do have a burden of performance, right? We are expected to be on top of things. We're expected to lead. We're expected to, once again, bring something of value to the table, right? right? Women, on the other hand, typically just, you, you got to be attractive and not complete and total cunt. And even then, um, you could still typically land a guy. But I know um, a lot of cunts, a lot yeah, of hot cunts who yeah, are so wiped up. Yeah, so... Um, what guys fail to understand is that once again, you do have this burden of performance, you know, men have to become women just are. And with that knowledge, you can go out into the world and kind of have that expectation. So that way you can interact with women in a way that's not going to make you resentful of women because you don't understand like the base here. And that's what I think a lot of men operate on is that they don't understand that they have to meet a certain threshold in order to be seen by women. And I think where you and I may kind of butt heads here is that um, in today's world, because of women's exposure and all the attention they can get and all the access to men, you know, because we do live in a globalized sexual marketplace, yeah. um, men really have to perform a lot, you know, to a much higher threshold in order to be in women's sites. Because like the guys who aren't in that, you know, upper echelon, um, they're just invisible, right? I mean, they're, they're not even, they don't even come on the radar to a lot of women. No, I actually don't think we've butt heads on that at all. One yeah. of the first things that Andrew Tate said that really actually got to me was um, he was talking to, you know, I think it, it might've been when he was on Fresh and Fit. I don't remember. Cause I used to just see the, the YouTube shorts. Yeah. Um, and he said something to the effect of like, you girls will never know true loneliness the way like a guy who doesn't have shit going on. Maybe he works at Starbucks, lives in his mom's basement or, you know, a studio apartment. Nobody's nice to him because he's a guy he goes home at the end of the day. He has no prospect. You will never understand that type of loneliness. And I was like, that is 100% real. And it, it made me a lot more, um, 
empathetic to when I see guys who might fit that profile uh, in, you know, my day-to-day life, um, trying to, you know, be nice, be that per- one person who was nice to them that day. Unfortunately, something that comes with being that guy is being so desperate for good attention that you get it and then you start to become a creep. Mm, um, so okay, that's not yeah, great. But, yeah. but, you know, it, I, you understand where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, what One thing I think is interesting about you that uh i wanted to ask you about i know it's like i'm interviewing you but like (laughs) um i find it so commendable and interesting that you said to yourself at some point i mean you're like what 28 right 28 yeah um that you said to yourself at some point you know this is what i want in a in a woman in a wife um and i'm gonna go look for that and you you picked very good qualities you know Mm. um and I am a little bit older than you, and I don't feel like that was something that the men of my generation were looking for or doing. So I was curious how you got to that point. <laughs> well, that's it's kind of funny because I actually did put out a podcast this week specifically on dating stuff, and I, it was oh, really? it was on that one thread that I did. But um, no, I'm I'm glad to elaborate more on that here, especially with uh, someone of the opposite sex, which you know I, I would typically tell guys not to talk to women or really go out with women on one-on-one. I know that's like an, an irrelevant thing, but um, I, I think what happens and we can kind of circle this in, especially with the point you were making earlier. Um, the problem is that guys who are lonely, like you were bringing up is that as soon as they get that little n- tidbit of um, attention, they just go to the races with it. And what they don't understand is that romance is a dance, right? Where mm-hmm. you kind of have to give a little bit and then you have to back off. And then you have to make sure that this person's willing to come back and then, you know, you can kind of meet in the middle. And then, you know, there's a, there's a very, very, very nuanced stance that you have to walk. Because if you keep going overboard, you know, you're blowing up their phone. You won't stop talking to them. And you can't show that you have better options in subtle ways. Then once get, what do you do? You think, oh, this guy's a fucking creep. I don't want to fucking talk yeah. to this guy. <laughs> but um, like... The behaviors that I were not necessarily the behaviors, well, yeah, to a degree, the behaviors, but also the traits I was looking for in a woman were ones that, you know, were statistically more likely to bring about a more, um, a partner that was less likely to divorce me. Right. Right. And this also came from my past back in my early 20s when I was a little bit of a, I don't want to say womanizer because it just sounds so cringe, but I was doing a lot of non exclusive dating and seeing a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. And through that, I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about other people and I learned a lot about how to interact with women. And that kind of led me down to finding, you know, my wife who, uh, at, the story I, I do love telling the story but basically was, she rejected me a couple times online and i finally met her in person and then you know five years later <laughs> here we are that's awesome yeah yeah so um it just happened she fit the mold of what i was looking for and one of the things that i would tell people the most is um these two things are what stood out to me about her she wasn't looking for other people's attention which automatically puts like my mind at ease because i know she's mm-hmm. not looking for other men's attention i had exes that would do that shit and it just it drove me up a fucking wall like because that's subliminally telling me that like i'm not doing enough to keep her you know <laughs> to me like i'm, I'm not yeah. enough in this regards which once again is a little bit of a fault of my own but at the same time um, if you're a woman and you're asking for attention from other men then that's kind of like this whole idea of a soft launch where you're still in the market um right. And then the second thing would be that the humility. My wife had anger problems at one point. Um, It's incredible to me to see over the years how well she has handled that and overcame it. 
and, oh, and like awesome. yes thank you those two things are like the two biggest things and obviously she's gorgeous and i love her dearly but like those two things i think really build the solid foundation of relationship because if somebody has humility then they can admit when they were wrong and they can yeah. realize that they knew that they know to do better and um yeah i mean she, she just has a lot of great qualities and the other thing is that we were together a long time before we decided to get married so there was a lot of time to vet and that's one thing that I think a lot of people don't do. I think kind of what happens is people just hook up and they assume like, okay, well, we can just run this out. Well, first of all, you should be very careful with who you're having sex with. And I mean, this yes. comes from somebody who did a lot of, you know, that in my early 20s. Um, you should be very careful. And then also really think long and hard about if this is somebody that is a good life partner. You're never going to have like the one, but you can find somebody that you can live the rest of your life with and be happy and have a family right. with. I feel like when I was growing up um, in my teen and early, you know, maybe throughout my 20s, I was always given the impression, and I, I'm going to sound incredibly cringe here. I have a lot of male friends. Mm -hmm. I believe that there are exceptions to every rule, and I'm one of them, and I don't care if that makes me delusional. <laughs> I have two brothers. Uh -huh. I was a very ugly kid. For a very, I probably still am in my ugly phase, and it's just I hang out with a lot of guys, so I would internalize the things that I would hear my male friends talk about with other girl about other girls, and say, oh, you know, like if that bitch got pregnant, get her to pay for the abortion, you know, blah blah. I so in my, I had in my head for maybe until I was like thirty that men don't want marriage, they don't want kids, they don't want families, they don't want this stuff. It's best to just be like that fun girl who hangs out with them and will hook up and, you know, whatever, they'll figure out eventually. And it's it's interesting because then you find out that that's not what they wanted, but that's the impression that they always gave off. And I feel like a, a women and men is my generation were sort of failed by the feminist movement having no counter with the MRA shit, because we didn't really have that. Um, and it, even though I think the MRA shit is stupid, I sort of feels it sort of feels like it helps balance things out. Yeah, in a way. Um, and I feel like, yeah, I feel like we were done a real disservice. Like we were led to believe that uh, you should wait until you're late. I mean, I'm 35, never been married, never had a kid. I will say, I I went through years of um, you know becoming sober and doing work on myself. No relationships there, so that did you know put a gap in my resume if you will but um you know i i feel like the idea was get through as much of your 30s as you can before you settle down and you know go get that baby at 40 like courtney cox did you know or whatever and now that i'm like getting older i'm panicking a little bit and i because of the work i do i i know that that's how you get yourself in really bad situations so i'm not going to be that girl but like it is interesting because I feel like we were fully lied to and it's messed a lot of women in my generation up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and just, kind of, yeah. So from the outside looking in, um, I would definitely agree that women are, they're very, very misled because I, I think, and I hate to go full purple pill trad con and say that like you should have kids younger, but um, honestly, I, I think that's probably the better idea yeah. because, you know, like, I worked with somebody at the uh, last dealership I worked at and actually somebody that I work with now. Um, they had kids when they were like in their, I want to say late teens, early twenties. And now uh, the one dude is in his early forties and, you know, all his kids are in their twenties and, 
you know, now him and his wife, they still look great. They're happy and they have all sorts of stuff. And it's like, okay, well now they have like the last half of their life to be with each other and really enjoy that. Um, But there's also the nuance of like, well, in today's world, it is a lot harder to do things on a single income, which like breaks my heart because I want people to live this socially conservative life. But what I'm I'm sure you can empathize with this as well, that like our parents don't understand necessarily the same struggles that we face because like they got to grow up with a lot of this technology boom and like the rapid increase in the standard of living. Now, granted, it was kind of like blunting up until the early 2000s, but like people our age we're not afforded that same, like, no, w- we don't have the same quality of life. Like my wife is going to have to work. Um, yeah. obviously I'm going to have to work. <laughs> so like, we're not going to be able to have somebody to stay at home at all times. So like our, to be traditional going forward is just so much more difficult for people kind of our age. And I think yeah. even for people younger than us, it's, you're going to have to make a lot of sacrifices and that's going to mean, I mean, you're, there's going to be generations of kids that are not going to have the same link with their parents. And it's like, how the fuck do you stop that? I mean, it's so crazy because it's one of, I'm like one of those people who can diagnose a problem, but then I still am the problem. So like if people didn't live such materialistic lives, perhaps you could live on a single income, but I love stuff. I love to shop. Mm -hmm. So like, I can't really talk, but I mean, most of my clients, um, if the wife stops working, it's only for when the baby's real, real young. Um, Most of the situations where they set up their marriage to be the stay-at-home mom um, and, you know, raised on a single income, those are the ones that end up in a very messy divorce because there is a shitload of resentment that gets built up. Mm -hmm. And not only resentment, but... um, There's resentment from the woman and there's resentment from the man that she's not able to go and get a job as fast and support herself. But it's like, well, you kept her out of the workforce for 12 years. Think about how much technology has changed. She's she's got to, you know, go get familiar with the computer and all of that stuff now. Um, So I it's weird because I know a lot of people and I think you are one of them uh, do make the comments about the it's more common for the more partners you have. And I swear there's a point here. Um, The more partners you have uh, more likely to get divorced. I feel like there's a corollary to that where um, I do feel like the, the stay at home mom and dad situation does in my experience does seem to lead lead to a divorces as well and bitter ones down the line. Very, very bitter ones. Okay, well, I'm actually glad you're pivoting over to this because it's something else I want to talk to you about. So this to me kind of seems like almost something that we were talking about earlier where it comes back to men understanding what women can and can't do, right? Mm -hmm. So – and – I like that you kind of pushed back towards the end there about women not being able to get a job and a man being um, upset that she's still dependent on him. So there's like a lot of nuance here, but – I think this kind of boils down to men not understanding that like, if you're going to have a woman stay home, then it's a thankless job. But then also you as the man being the provider, 
is going to be a thankless job. Like a lot of this shit right. is just going to be suffering for your child, which in my mind, a lot of parenthood is. And like, we all want to blow it up. Like it's going to be some great thing, but I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of anger, frustration, resentment between two parents that may go unspoken. But then obviously at the end of the day, when your child's grown up, you realize that a lot of it wasn't for nothing, that it was mm-hmm. for, you know, the sake of the child. But um, you know, that being said, I think men have this grand idea that one day their wife or some woman is going to come along and appreciate them and love them the exact way that they kind of envision it in their head. But what I, in my mind, the red pill, the intersexual dynamics, the red pill is in once again, the manosphere um, terminology. What that needs to serve as is telling men that that's not going to happen. So once again, you can love women for what they are, not what they could never be. And that is like the biggest takeaway, because if you're under this expectation that a woman can provide you something that she can't provide, then you're holding her in this mental complacency that she can never live up to. Mm -hmm. And you'll perpetually be disappointed and she'll be perpetually disappointed if you understand you know what things are from the outset then once again you're more of the mind of understanding what she can do and what uh, what the situation should be going forward yeah it's funny because i hate to borrow from this like liberal you know use of this kind of overuse of this term but it's the power dynamics that come into play when you have a situation where you're the man and the wife stay at home mom and if you were thinking of it like this she's going off and spending my money mm-hmm. um she doesn't do shit all day but she just gets to stay home recipe for disaster you need to be saying she's going off and spending our money because if you really think about it what i tell people uh, sometimes who are getting these situations where they're trying to figure out, uh, you know, if they should get a job or stay, stay at home and take care of the kids. I'm like, how much, go look up how much childcare costs. Go look up this, that, the other thing. All right, do the numbers. Is it going to, does it make sense or is it better for you to stay home? I don't know. Sometimes it's one way, sometimes it's the other. But I feel as though, I feel as though, and this is where I'm going to, you know, be a little mean to the men. I feel as though, you know, you guys don't fully understand what women sacrifice when they do choose to take on that role and you think she's spending all his money she got half of his money in the divorce well no it's technically their money because she played a role maybe in the background it was unpaid if you really want to you know not really unpaid because she gets his money but um it's it becomes a situation where he would not have been able to do all of that or have the savings he has without her being there and not making it so that they had to go get child care and all of that. So I, I think that men need to be a little more cognizant of that mm-hmm. um, when they get into these situations and are bitching about, you know. And also you get in a situation where, okay, now we're split up and I'm I'm pissed off that I don't get to see my child 50% of the time immediately. Well, you were never there. The child's not comfortable with you. Have you Has your wife ever gone away for a weekend and only you had the child? If you've never done that, that's going to be a little scary. Um, so we might need to work up to getting you 50, 50, and you, you kind of need to accept that if you're setting up your situation where the power dynamic is what it is, don't be surprised when we get into court and you're not getting what you want immediately. Okay. So 
Wow, yeah, there's a lot there that I want to kind of pull apart there. So this is why I think men and women who get married should have a joint checkings account, right? Because this already kind of starts you off on the paradigm that this is your money together. Because in my mind, if you're getting married, then this is once again, the idea of a union, right? You're with this person because you believe that you and this other person are one and that you're going to start a family. And this is the most prosperous situation for both you and your wife to be in. So um, when I see people saying that they're like not joining their bank accounts and not sharing resources it's very bizarre to me because it's like well okay so why are you leaving your foot in the door there right because that's not what (laughs) that's that's not what a marriage is at least in my mind and it's the same deal with um you know like moving in and without a plan to get married because once again you're leaving your foot open or even to give the guys from fresh and fit some credit when women leave their Instagram up and they're posting sexy pictures and they're advertising, right? Because let's be honest, that's what it is. Instagram is the number one dating app. So when women are posting pictures like that, which once again, my wife never does, it was a huge factor in us getting married, which it sounds Mm -hmm. silly, but she doesn't advertise because she's mine. (laughs) I mean, I don't advertise myself. Right. I I mean, I can't even tell you how many so I wasn't even posting sexy stuff, mm-hmm. posting goofy shit with my friends, and you get a guy in there and do a two second search on his profile. You see, he has a girlfriend, and he's just like, well, whatever. I mean, like the amount of nonsense that goes on on Instagram, my God. Yeah. So, um, I, I think when it comes to kind of this split deal, um, <sighs> When you have somebody that's staying at home, then once again, and I can't imagine this situation because I haven't been in it, but I feel like a lot of guys do instantly kind of forget that a woman is providing a service and you are paying for the service. And the idea of your union, of your marriage, is that once again, you're accepting this responsibility. Um, Is my dear friend Tommy Sands put, um, the man, the husband is the priest of the household. Um, so you are being the priest of the household and you're taking the responsibility because this is your duty, right? So like, as it stands right now, my duty is to provide for my wife and then obviously our three dogs and then me take care of the house and all the bills and stuff like that. And I never, ever bug her about anything financially. She pays her car bill. She pays our phone bill, but like all the house bills and shit like that, that's on me. Taking care of the house stuff, that's on me. Fixing the cars, that's on me. But this is my duty as a husband. So her responsibility as my wife is going to be one day that she mostly raises our child, children, and then she takes care of the stuff at the house. There's this agreement, mutual understanding. There's a um, a division of labor that right. once again, we both acknowledge because this is our union. And I think and that's- And agreed to, I'm assuming. Well, yeah. I mean, once again, yeah. we, we uh, there's a natural order to things where obviously I do all these tasks. And then, uh, you know, if I need help with something like that, she's willing to do it too. But like, we understand our primary responsibilities. Oh, I'm just saying, that, I feel yeah. like people don't have that conversation yeah. with people. And I feel like that's one of the things that they should do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and before you decide to marry someone and say like, this is what I envision this looking like. Is that something that is compatible with your vision mm-hmm. or whatever? Because, uh, again, basically ba- the nature of what I do, I'm a divorce lawyer, is seeing a lot of situations where I'm like, how did you end up with in a relationship with each other? <laughs> like, you two? That doesn't make sense. And, you know, I think that's what I think, again, I think is admirable about you because you said, you've said before, you know, you had what you were looking for in 
your wife, you met the one who found, who, you know, checked those boxes. I feel like a lot of people don't actually do that. And they just sort of <laughs> fall in. Yeah, yeah. I think people just sort of fall into relationships. Um, and, you know, they, they stay together for a certain amount of time. All of a sudden they're like, I guess we should get married. I don't know. And, you know, that's why you see such a high divorce rate. Yeah. And, and I mean, divorce is just like the fucking worst thing on the planet. Uh, I mean, it, it's awful to see how people who once had such a bright and like happy life together go down such a miserable path and especially when it gets to the point where it's financial and the way i always heard it explained i wish i could remember who said it but um when it comes to divorce court and alimony for a man it's like being drugged behind a truck and it stops when she says it stops um it's just to think about a situation like that it's just so awful because like when you marry somebody you understand and you should always remember like i was thinking about doing this gay thread on twitter but i didn't but i basically i i can remember the moments i had two margaritas the day that i was going to get married and funny enough my wife did too and i remember counting seagulls while i was waiting for her to walk down to the beach so then we would say our vows and i'll i'll never forget that as long as i live for you know obvious reasons but like those are the moments that you should remember when you're with somebody and that's what you should focus on is like the highest state of being and prospering like that and even like through all the bad times and obviously my wife and i have like little times where we butt heads but we never like scream and shout but once again it's about the humility um you should remember those moments and like i don't know it's just the idea that one person would go after another's another person's income and rake them over the coals for an extended period of time it's like man you you guys really lost the plot if this is where you feel it's necessary to be but um kind of to your point earlier i understand why people would go down that path when um you enter this union and then you know you're foggy on the details and then one person you know you end up having a kid and then you never ironed out the details, but all of a sudden now one person is without a job and has to stay at home. And then, you know, things get rough or you decide you don't want to work it out, which in my mind, you should always work it out no matter what. Um, now one person's left at a s- extremely economic disadvantage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely, it's, it's, it's fucked up because if I think about for me, like giving away a portion of my income, holy fuck i would be so mad yet i make people do it all the time (laughs) and it's it's fucked up um i yeah it's hard to reconcile sometimes like there was god like when i first started being a divorce lawyer back in 2014 or so um i was like always on the side of my clients are in the right you know i believe everything they tell me and it took me like maybe a year and a half or so to be like God, I could have been that other person's attorney. All right, everybody, we're going to take a little break from the show real quick to tell you about the show's sponsors. I am now working with the great Stephen Fox to bring you Fox and Sons coffee. As you can see, I got two bags right here, or for those listening, I was holding two bags. Um, It is organically roasted up in Michigan. If you're a caffeine addict, much like myself, um, then head over to foxandsonscoffee.com to get yourself some of their fantastic coffee. They got a light roast, which I'm holding in my hand. Um, they have the electric boogaloo blend, which is fantastic as well. I just had it this morning. And if you're like me, you like dark roast coffee, which kicks you right in the freaking face first thing in the morning. Um, they have that for you as well. So head over to foxandsonscoffee.com. Use code 
Kyle, K-Y-L-E, to get yourself a little discount. Let them know that I sent you and um, get yourself caffeinated, get jacked and tan and do what you got to do. All right, guys, back to the podcast. Thanks. And then I would have had to represent them. And I wonder how they feel like, mm-hmm. you know, and it's 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 funny now that because I've had times and I think I've talked about this with Tyler Yonke. I've had times where I'm like, God, I understand why your husband hates you. <laughs> or like, I'm on his <laughs> side now. You know what I mean? Because uh-huh. it's just I it's there's so many things that I've had clients do that I would never, ever want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, I guess you have to realize you have to try to put yourself in those shoes and realize all the things that happened that got them there. Um, and somebody, I was listening to some chick on some podcast. She was going through a custody thing and she was saying like, you know, we wouldn't spend all this money on lawyers and time in court if we didn't fully feel like this is what we had to do. And I'm like, that's true to a sense. Although, you know, sometimes what you, your sincere belief is wrong, but if you look at it from their perspective, they believe it. So it's kind of tough but um that's just i don't know i always think about that like god if somebody had to take you know half of my income every month i would freak the fuck out i would be so mad yeah it, it, my grandfather was divorced three times and oh yeah yeah um and i've seen you know people that i work with go through divorces and them saying like i'm losing thousands of dollars every month um it's it's fucking horrible to think about just the situations that people put each other in and i think a lot of this could be prevented if like people were much more intentional about their relationships as my wife and i were um yeah and once again this isn't to pat myself on the back and i appreciate the compliments but like i knew how ugly divorce can get from listening to the mras and people like Mm -hmm. that and that's not to say that you should like sit there and dwell and live in that sphere but like listen to the ugliest shit you can so you realize that hell is a bottomless pit and that there you know there's nothing that you could do that wouldn't make it worse um you should be very, very careful with who you choose to spend the rest of your life with. And when it comes to having sex with somebody and the potential to have a child, I'm pro-life as it gets. Um, mm-hmm. Be very, very conscious of where you know, where and what you're doing. And it's pretty damn hard to get somebody knocked up. But, like, you should still be very conscious about that. And, what and, you know, just I, I can't hammer the point enough. When it comes to a long-term relationship, just, you know, spend some time with this person. Make sure you see what they're like when they're mad, when they're not doing too well. Do they speak well of you to their peers? Do you speak well of them to your peers? Do you two recognize each other's faults like just some obvious stuff that i think people just get so hooked on the high of meeting somebody new and they don't consider these things and then later on they may come back to bite them in the ass like none of this stuff is ever for me to pat myself on the back and say how good of a job i did it's just like hey i want you i want to hold up a mirror and say like are you thinking about this stuff before you go down this path because i don't want to see people end up as your client no offense Mm -hmm. (laughs) no of course i trust me by the way i also I've gotten to the stage where when I have that initial meeting, I'm like, hey, if you can do this without me, you should do it without me. Mm-hmm. Like, if you guys can figure out a way to do this, like, don't waste your money. Um, you know, not that it's a waste. I'm just saying, like, if you don't need a lawyer, try to try to do it without one because right. it's a lot. And that you will never see it again. That money <laughs> is gone. Um, I just think it's so cool that you had the uh, maturity to do that and date with intention like that it's something that i wish i had learned a very long time ago and i'm sort of like 
learning it now later in life. And, uh, you know, I, I wonder what my life would have been like if I had known the things that I know now back then. Um, I, I think things would have been a lot different, but, uh, I, so I do think it's cool. I think you're a little more unique no, even though I do think that people growing up now are getting more of this information, um, I don't think as many of them because I, I I still see all those fuck boys and fuck girls on you know Twitter and Instagram, OnlyFans. Everyone's got a fucking OnlyFans, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and you know the Instagram again. I sound like eighty years old. The Instagram is yeah. a nightmare. Um, but, you know, so what has been what, yeah what has kind of been your experience with dealing with um divorce court because you touch on a little bit and i know you and i kind of went back and forth a couple of times because um to me it does seem like men just get completely fucking annihilated time in and time out and from right. what i understand the uh stats are i think it's like 91 or 89 percent of alimony cases go to women um and it's for some of the reasons that you're laying out, which I right. think are reasonable, but at the same time, it does seem like some women do kind of take the alimony court for a ride and they just grind men into the ground. And like I said, I've seen this firsthand with what this does to guys. And I do believe there's two sides to every story, but also, um, you know, it is really fucked up to just take a dude for everything he's got. Because once again, this at one point was the husband. Um, this at one point was the father or is the father of your child. Um, we should try and treat that with some kind of dignity and respect. Absolutely. Um, I think part of my opinion on this is colored by the fact that I do live in California and California has made it a priority in their statutes and everything to be as gender neutral as possible. Like, I know that's probably the goal everywhere, but California, it's very strict. Mm -hmm. So um, I do believe that, I mean, I have seen several, not many, of course, several uh, cases where I have the wife paying the husband alimony um, and child support. uh, I will say it's definitely not as many, um, although I do think that this is a trend that is changing and will continue to change um, because, I mean, you go back into like, you know, the seventies, women weren't allowed to have their own credit cards in their own name, you know? So it's, it takes time for these things to change. Um, there's like the women's property act of 1979 in California, where it was finally like, you can own your property, uh, and all of that. So it, it is taking time to change. I definitely, there's more men paying spouse support women again, though, for the reasons that I stated, you actually said something that made me think about, um, this a lot once i i don't even remember who you're talking about but you said to me on twitter something to the effect of if you quit your job you can't expect uh, yeah, or if you, yeah if yeah. you quit being a wife then you shouldn't expect to be right. paid at, at you know as still being employed as a wife yeah right the thing that i think and i think a lot of men do think that way and i that was kind of the most interesting sometimes you need to have an analogy put to really get it yeah um one of the things i think that men Um, a lot of the men, especially who think that no fault divorce is really bad, don't consider is, um, what led to the divorce. They think, oh, without abuse or something like that, who cares? And I'm like, man, you should see some of the cases that I have in front of me that have no physical abuse, but I can't believe the woman stayed as long as she did. And, you know, I see the evidence, I see pages of text messages and pictures and all this stuff and i'm like wow so she finally the point of no fault divorce again was so that you're not trapping someone in a relationship and they don't have to be trapped because they can't they don't have the money 
-hmm. you know do you want some woman to be trapped in a relationship she doesn't want to be in just because she's destitute that's sort of where i come back to it but i did think that was a good point in general that you made um if you if you're just somebody who's like fuck it i don't want to be married to you anymore i'm sick of you and then you want spousal support that i think is silly Mm -hmm. but I think you got to, you know, there has to be a little bit more nuance, but I do, I did, I did take your point on that. I thought that was an interesting one. Okay. So I guess the one area where I'd push back and I'm more on the side of, I think no fault divorce is a a net negative. Um, And people jumped down my throat. I'll never forget the uh, backlash I got on Twitter when I went back and forth with Ace Arcus over the uh, step parent thing. (laughs) But uh, that was one of my favorites. Oh my god! Yeah, that is a hornet's nest that I will kick any time, but you know, only when I have very time. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, First of all, I didn't know that cuckold included a stepfather until somebody linked it to me. I was like, no way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people don't like to hear Stalking. that, but yeah, people yeah. and like people interpreted that me as saying like. I'm saying that all stepdads are bad people and it's right. immoral. I don't think cuckoldry is immoral. I'm just telling you what retroactively this is. This is, once again, one of the things, this was a big thing for me. I would not date a woman who has a kid. Right. It's just my, because it seems to me, and people can throw stones at me all they like, but guys who date women with kids, they don't have any better options because women who have kids bring a lot of baggage to the relationship. You're bringing a baby daddy, you're bringing kids, and then now this guy is going to have to pick up for that kid that's not his. Um, and not only that, kids are so much more likely to be abused when it's a step-parent, which is tragic, but I mean, that's just the truth. I'm not going to put myself in that situation. Anybody who knows me knows I'm about as calm as the day is long, but I I refuse to put myself in that situation because it's not fair to the kid. And um, once again, I, I would I wouldn't want anything to happen. I mean, it's essentially step parents are um, this whole situation with no fault divorce, and I think normalizing step parents actually leads to a lot more abuse and rape of children than um, it would otherwise. Which in People are going to take this out of context and say that I'm saying all step parents and all yeah. this is rape. not all. Yeah, but it, it does lead it. It opens that door a lot more because now you're allowing predators to easy get easier access to children. So um, I know it's a long tangent, but basically my pushback would be um, in no fault divorce. Um, the problem is, why are you marrying somebody that would kind of be in that situation in the first place? Because it kind of seems like people, once again, they're not looking, they're not actively understanding what they're doing. You're not consciously engaging your relationship right. and observing this person's behaviors. So you end up in a situation that really fucks you. And I understand not everybody's perfect. So I'm just going to slip through the cracks. But like, this is why the decision to get married or be in a relationship with somebody is a big fucking deal and you should not be a fucking moron about it totally yeah totally i i fully agree with that i just think at uh, on a level it's impossible to expect people to be smart <laughs> um <laughs> so you know i don't want people stuck in relationships that they don't want to be in however i i'm not saying that no fault divorce has been a net good for society either okay. um sure. i definitely don't think that um mm-hmm. but it's just it's ultimately it comes really down to state involvement and do i want you to be trapped in a relationship that you can't get out of if you don't want to be in it but there there isn't something that a government tells you is sufficient enough for you to get out of it Mm -hmm. i don't want the government to say "Mm, 
I only have evidence that he pushed you into a wall, but he didn't punch you in the face. So you mm -hmm. have to say, you know what I mean? I, I don't, I don't think that's right, but I, I do think it has led to people getting divorced very flippantly. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think that's good. Uh, I've <laughs> fuck man. I've had, I had a, one of the first cases I had was a marriage that was three months. And I was like, what the fuck was the point of this, man? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so I definitely, I don't think it's been a net positive, but I don't necessarily think it's more negative than the other option. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, what's it, Thomas Sowell, he says there's no good or bad, there's trade-offs or something like yeah. that. It's a trade-off type of thing. But uh, I, I definitely get why men feel a certain way about it, because if I'm going to put on what I think they're saying, and you can tell me if I'm right about this, is, sure. you know... Um, the woman chooses to leave me for no good reason other than she just doesn't want to be married to me anymore. She doesn't like me anymore, whatever. And then I'm going to get fucked. I don't get to see my kids. I got to pay her. I got to lose all this shit. And I, I didn't want this. Is that sort of what it is? Now, by I don't want this, do you mean like as in like she didn't – the guy didn't want that whole situation or – I didn't want the divorce. She just walked out for whatever reason and now because she wanted this for no good reason in my mind and i have to you know suffer all these consequences right um i think when that happens to men i feel like and i'm almost gonna sound like fucking jordan peterson or matt walsh there's almost like oh, a lot there's um almost like you do have, once again, to bring it back to a point I made earlier, you have a burden of performance, right? If I were to stop going to the gym and start calling off work, stop getting up at 4.30 and doing what I have to do every single day, um, my wife would lose attraction to me, right? right. I wouldn't be the same person that she married. Um, so I, I think a lot of guys, this kind of encircles our whole conversation is that men have this burden of performance and i think that they fail to understand that and they don't understand that women are looking for that and whether they say it or not they're looking for it and mm -hmm. you need to understand that and once again this is your duty as a guy and especially as a husband that you're going to be expected to perform certain things and be consistent in these regards um now obviously nobody's perfect so on the other side would be that women need to understand that um for men, it's very, very difficult to maintain right. this and not garner fatigue and need some kind of support. But once again, your default state as a man is that you're going to have to struggle. And, yeah. um, you know, the, the machine's not built to be content. So even when, you know, everything's going good, you hit that PR, which I've done it, you know, deadlifted 500 pounds, no problem. Um, you're you're going to want to lift more, right? That's yeah. what happens. Um, so you kind of have to just understand that once again, as a guy, you have this burden of performance, but once again, when it comes to no fault divorce, um, women have a lot of incentives to leave and mm -hmm. that should always be included in the conversation as well as that, um, a woman will still get paid as a wife if she chooses to no longer be a wife, whereas the husband will have to perform no matter what. And there's mm -hmm. no upside for him. Basically, um, what we've done in modern society is that we've 
put all the responsibility on men, but gave them 0% authority. So, you know, what is 100% um, or 100% responsibility with 0% authority? It's basically slavery because the man has no decision in the marriage because he doesn't have the same legal counsel and social constructs built around the um, court systems that women do. So um, this is where kind of, once again, it goes back to the burden performances that a woman being attracted to a man and understanding that he is kind of the leader in the household and her being okay with being in that frame is very, very important. And then when you lose that and when you start slouching and you start slacking, then I think that's kind of when the door opens up. And then when a woman feels more incentivized to leave, because she realizes that um, you're not, you're not doing your duties as Mm -hmm. a husband anymore. So I know that's a lot and there's a lot of nuance in there, but that's kind of like how I see it. So it's so interesting because when you say the burden of performance, you just you lay out things that are objectively, you know, that's a lot of responsibility to to meet. And a lot of I'm going to sound like a traitor to my gender today uh, when I say this, but a lot of men are just like, hey, just don't get fat and like and I'll stay married to you and uh as somebody who has struggled with weight her entire life I'm like that's really hard but to you when you guys have all of these other things that you have to meet it doesn't seem that hard to just like not become a fat ass um but it is funny I wonder like so like let's say you know you are holding up your end of the bargain and not you the because your beautiful wife I'm not gonna say she's gonna get fat but some other guy married some like hot little thing and then she got fat. Do you think that guy is justified in uh, ending the marriage because of that? Or should they try to, you know, he should try to get it to work out or because I have several cases where the guy's like, yeah, I cheated on her because she was fucking fat. Um, I, I mean, perhaps my perspective is a little bit different because I'm a certified personal trainer and health and fitness is kind of my right. thing. But um, obviously if there's an issue, then you need to bring that up. And then, you can't be an asshole and just be like, well, quit eating fucking pizzas, lard ass. Yeah. Um, you don't have a right to just up and divorce him. But at the same time, the expectation is that like, hey, we got married because you're a beautiful woman and you're going to be the mother of my children. That's all I'm expecting of you. If I'm providing right. and I'm holding up my end of the bargain, then I expect you to do this. Um, right. So that does not make it right to cheat. Um, now there are people in open relationships and once again, as long as it's like an explicit thing and you both have the understanding that like, Hey, we're entering an open relationship. Um, me, I don't think I could tolerate that. Me um, either. and I don't think my wife would tolerate that well either. I, just say, I think I can think of like one or two exceptions. Every poly person I know is not attractive. Yeah. <laughs> have you noticed that yeah pretty much every time i see like swingers or people like that i'm like man oh my god i don't know who the Why? fuck you're getting to swing yeah i don't know who's swinging with you but i'm <laughs> i'll tell you me and my wife are not on the market yeah it's, it's just i don't know i don't know if it's like attractive people have more self-esteem or what <laughs> i'm not sure but yeah. i just think i mean i because i i know some people out there in the libertarian mm. sphere who are swingers and are good looking i'm just saying they're not the typical ones i see but yeah yeah um yeah, I definitely don't think it would be right to divorce somebody just because they got fat. Um, I, I think it would kind of be the same deal as if you feel you're having problems that you can't solve between you and your significant other. Um, right. You should go start doing training. And um, it, it's funny because my dad's actually started consulting me about losing weight, which is like just really, really strange to me. But, um, you know, it, it's not hard to lose weight. It, it, it's It can be. I, I 
it's simple, but it's not hard. So I have a little bit of a different. Yeah, it's simple, but it's not hard. So like basically the way that I always try to start it out is like, okay, so we're just going to try to get you to opt in for better foods. That's all we're going to start right there. Let's try to get you to weigh yourself three times a week, just so that way we kind of have like an average. And then if the scale's trending down good, just keep doing what you're doing. Don't track, don't worry about protein. Don't worry about anything. Just try to opt for better foods. Don't drink calories. Don't, you know, just try to make a little bit of a conscious effort. And then, you know, if the scale starts to, you know, if you stop seeing progress, then let's kind of push it. Let's see if we can change a dial on something else, maybe get you to do a little bit more activity, see if that gets right. it to budge. Um, you know, just kind of work with somebody because at the same time, if you're in a union, then it's going to be work, right? Um, you right. know, the, the same deal is, you know, if my wife wants to get need personal training or anything like that, she works out. Um, I'm here for her. Um, you're there for your partner because it's, you know, till death do us part. So some of that's going to be problems and struggles. So um, it is part of the woman's bar or end of the deal that I think that they stay attractive, or at least to the best of their ability. And, um, you know, do the duties that they essentially agreed to do the same right. way as it is for a man to do the, his end of the bargain. And that's not to say, once again, you have to be 100%, 100% of the time, but you know your responsibilities. It's just funny because when you actually lay it out like that, it seems like the man has so much more of a burden to meet <laughs> than the woman. And I'm like, yeah, man, if you really think about it, it's just funny. Like, I feel like in some ways I was lucky to have experienced, you know, struggles with weight early on in life and throughout life because i know a lot of women who never struggled with their weight and then had the one kid and they're all of a sudden it's like what so it's like i know that when i get a certain way like i know how to lose weight and some of these women are like i don't know should i do keto and i'm like oh my god <sighs> no i don't believe i know you're similar to me in the sense i don't believe in those like elimination diets unless you have um mm. like a an allergy or something you're like yeah, that too, right? You know, I'm very, very dogmatic when it comes to diet. I did carnivore for two years and like I struggled with my weight for probably most of my life, honestly, until yeah. I was, uh, funny enough, until about six months or so after I met my wife that it finally mm -hmm. like, because she had... <laughs> She has a gluten allergy, right? So mm -hmm. um, that was kind of like the first drop in the bucket of, oh, hey, maybe this nutrition stuff matters. I'd only been working out for like, you know, five or probably like eight years prior. But, uh, you know, I could never, I had these digestive issues and probably what was depression, but I was never formally diagnosed. Right. Um, and then I did carnivore and I just kept binging and stuff like that. And then um, eventually it got beaten into my head that like, Hey, generally, as long as you're eating decently, um, and not even like that, like, as long as you're not just eating way too much, you're probably going to be okay. Right. Um, artificial sweeteners, study after study after study comes out, they're benign. They change the gut, but nobody knows if that's good or bad. Um, the saturated fat stuff. Yeah. As long as you're not eating like bacon and, you know, fatty ribeyes and fatty brisket for every single meal, every single food. day. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're delicious. But as long as you're not just like dousing everything in butter and eating the fattiest cuts of meat for every single meal and, um, eating sugar all day, you're, you're probably right. going to be okay. Right. So that's like pretty much like the main advice, like just try to get a little bit more protein, eat lots of fruits and veggies, eat lots yeah. of leaner meats, and you're probably going to be pretty good. And like sugar, not bad for you. Seed oils, not bad for you. It's just, seed oils. oh my God. People it's getting have, really, yeah. 
it's it sucks because like you're in really good shape i am not i'm in good athletic shape but i'm not like uh i don't i'm not thin so like it's funny because i've educated myself over the years on all of this stuff very intensely because i like to learn because i'm a nerd and also because i've had to deal with it and it's just funny because i want to give these people i'm like no you're wrong but they're like oh well you're not skinny so what do you know and i'm like i mean i'm you don't have to be skinny to read a fucking study but um it is i it's just funny i I don't believe i think calories in calories out is the only diet advice people really need yeah um i try to avoid saying that not that it's wrong but that like when you tell people that it's not really helpful because i see some people say like what's the best way to lose weight and they'll just say calorie deficit i'm like well the question they're asking is what should I do to lose weight? Right. When you right. just shout caloric deficit at people, and I'm not saying you do this, but like I've seen other people do this. I'm like, it's just a shitty thing to do because it doesn't Well, they'll just say, yeah, eat less, move more. And it's like, well, hold on. Yeah, well, well nobody, yeah, nobody knows what that looks like. Right. So that's why, once again, we don't make huge changes. If I tell you, you got to work out six days a week, you have to um, walk 10 minutes a day or a half hour a day, you know, preferably after a meal. And then, you know, each month. Yeah. If I lay all these, you're not going to do it. You may do it for a week or two, but then, you know, you're not going to comply. So that's why once again, with my dad and with other people, you give them just, Hey, just try this weigh yourself and let's see where it goes. If you're in the right direction, keep doing it. Don't change a thing. But once again, as soon as things start to stall out, then let's adjust the knobs. And then now something that I've also kind of dug, dug in a little bit on and um, people can refer to, I think it's episode 140, 141 with Dr. Dr. Bill Campbell, where we talked about deloads a little bit. Um, I, I start to tell people do deloads, diet breaks, because a lot of the research is coming out about that. The slower you lose the weight, and if you take diet breaks, so this basically like a week at maintenance, mm-hmm. um, that decreases a lot of like the mental and actually like your your me- I don't want to say your metabolism's fatigue, but like right. you'll actually maintain adrenal. More- you'll maintain more muscle you'll maintain a better metabolism if you actually take these diet breaks so a lot of people just want to crash diet but like if you lose the weight slowly you're more likely to keep it off if you take diet breaks you're more likely to keep the weight off and you'll keep more muscle so like when it comes and even like when it comes to training there was a study done where basically like and they fucked up the design of the study in my mind because like they had people work out for like three weeks and take two weeks off when most people deload for like anywhere from like a week to 10 days. Right. Um, so basically what they did is they had people work out for like, I think it was six months straight and their progress was pretty linear. And then started to like taper off towards the end. The people who were deloading, they actually made the same progress by the end of the study and they were taking two weeks off at a time. Yeah. So once again, that tells you that it's important to fucking deload. And Bill Campbell has published over 200 studies from the university of Florida. And he says, yeah, I take a week off every four weeks. So, I mean, this dude, like he's like the guru on um, basically like getting people into like almost contest press shape, right? contest prep shape. Yeah. I had a, I had a time after my freshman year of college, I lost, I think like 75 pounds over mm-hmm. a summer. And uh, guess how I did that. I'm five foot nine. I'm not going to mm-hmm. say what I weigh, but uh, I went down to a thousand calories a day. God. Way too little. Yeah. Lost a shitload of weight. Body didn't look that good. Like body looked smaller, but it didn't look great. And I ended up putting, you know, the weight back on. Even eating very little, exercising like crazy because my body was like, okay, we are operating on a thousand calories a day. Mm. We are used to that now. So we don't have the energy you add in a little bit more calories and we're like, cool. Like Body store fat. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I always tell people that too. I'm like, you need to 
because I, you know, I had a, a, a period of time after I started working as a lawyer uh, where I, my PCOS got out of control and I put some of the weight back on and I went to my old trainer who's a professional bodybuilder, IFBB and all that, MPC, whatever the fuck, NCP, whatever, I don't remember. Um, and he was like, okay, well, we're just going to do this. Go to 2100 calories and just come work out with me three days a week. Dude, I lost 25 pounds in like mm -hmm. a month and I've kept it off and, you know, a little bit more than that three years now. And I haven't been going to the gym as much. I need to get back in there. COVID fucked me up. Mm -hmm. um, but like that weight I've kept off without really trying. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like people, the, but the weight that I worked, you know, with a starvation diet to get off came back so easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, with, and without even like overeating, eating mm -hmm. normal. Yeah. So to, um, the way that this kind of happens is that your body, think of it as like a thermostat. You have a certain, what's called a body fat set point and it's set just point. a theory, yep. but yeah. So basically I like, believe it. Yeah. If you, so do I, if you get to a certain point, like right now, this shape I'm in now is kind of like my body fat set point right around like 190 to 195 pounds. Um, it would take pretty drastic dieting to get me below. Like I've been as low as 179 and I felt horrible, but once again, my body fat set point wasn't that that I could maintain that. Now, at one point, my set point was 250 pounds, right? So it, it took a pretty drastic change to get me down. And then at a certain point, I was kind of stuck in like the 210-ish range. And then once again, intervention all the way down to 180s. And now I'm kind of floating around 190. And that's just because your body's going to eventually settle at a point that it's going to say, okay, well, this is the weight that I'm happy at. And this is the weight that I can work with the best at. Um, and people, once again, will crash diet, but, um, what happens is what I'm doing right here is what's called non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So this is actually the majority of the calories that you burn every single day is through yeah. activity like this. Um, very little is it actually from the thermic effect of feeding, which is from like fiber or protein. And then also like your physical activity. Like I think physical activity is like 20%, but an overwhelming yeah. majority is non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So when people's metabolism crashes, they stop moving around as much involuntarily. Right. Like you can't just get it back up without extreme conscious effort. So like, right. instead of getting up to go get the remote and turn on the TV and sit back down, you'll just sit down and not turn on the TV. That's basically what happens. And people don't realize that, but like your body's not fucking stupid. It will yeah. find a way to preserve energy if you completely destroy your metabolism. Totally. I, yeah. I feel like I knew at the time that I destroyed my metabolism. I don't think I realized how badly i destroyed it because i think it took a long time for me to to get to a set point and i always say like my friend one of my best friends she's uh you know does like she teaches group fitness classes she's moving around all day but she doesn't eat that much and i'm like that this is her set point her body's used to this level because like she's also not losing weight yeah. but you know so people develop these set points where they're used to this level of activity this level of calories and we're going to maintain and i feel like people never want to go for that maintenance phase which i mm -hmm. feel now after all the different times I've lost weight in my life, the maintenance phase is super duper important because I don't feel like you can get back on a losing trend until you've spent some time at maintenance. Yeah. Well, um, you know, obviously your hormones leptin and ghrelin and I always get these two fucked up when I'm explaining it, but like, uh, Oh wait, leptin <laughs> is the hunger and ghrelin's the satiety. No, it's the other way around. Wait, I forget. Never mind. Yeah. But, uh, 
basically the point is, is that like when you're on a diet for so long, eventually you're just going to be very, very food focused and very, very hungry for an extended period of time. Yeah. So that's why it's actually important to do, let's say a bulk or a maintenance phase to kind of not necessarily reset those hormones, but kind of get everything back in check. So that way you're not just ridiculously ravenously hungry, but this is right. what happens with a lot of people who crash diet is that they binge and then you can actually overshoot and you can actually cause fat cell hyperplasia. They, this is where they're saying uh, rodent models where like, if you just binge and gain a whole bunch of weight back, then you actually um, your fat cells can do what's called hyperplasia, and then you can gain more fat cells. And fat actually, cells, yeah. right. And what will happen is you actually get fatter than you were prior. Right. So that's um, that's why I recommend against crash dieting and try to tell people once again just little changes. Let's be right. patient with weight loss, and then whenever you you're never going to get to your dream physique, but you can get to better than where you are today. Right. And it's funny because people don't fully understand you are like when people are like oh no weight loss isn't um it's just you know easy for everybody well there is a genetic component i'm not saying you can blame everything on genetics right. but you are born with a certain amount of fat cells mm -hmm. those fat cells will fill up if there is spillage you get what kyle was just talking about where you're creating new fat cells um and you can never get rid of them absent you know a lipo or a cutting tummy tuck or whatever that's the only way to really get rid of fat cells is to cut them out so people should again like I'm, i don't want to be a hypocrite i've gained weight before um and you know lost it but if you can prevent it never get fat because it sucks it's really hard it's not more fun it sucks the only fun part is like the temporary fun of eating the shitty food mm -hmm. yeah and, and i mean that is a uh it is awesome to eat whatever you want i mean i definitely did that on um my honeymoon with my wife and, uh, sure. you know, just didn't worry about it. But I mean, you know, at the same time, you have to optimize for the highest quality of life. And at the time, it was just not worrying about my diet. I didn't track anything. And I think I gained 10 pounds and I've only lost like five of that. So, and, you know, I mean, it just is what it is. I'm not you put it on here... some water and shit too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, initially it was like, I think I was like almost 20 or 30 pounds up, but then, you know, obviously over what happens is just a lot of that water weight and a lot of the bloat and stuff kind of wears off over the next couple of weeks. I mean, you'll lose like, if you go on vacation, a lot of people freak out because the scale will be way higher. I think I left on vacation. I was like 185 and I came back, I was 214 pounds. And then within like a week or so, I was like back into the one nineties. Yeah. So it looks freaky at first, but then, I mean, it all, it goes away very, very fast. Especially if I got a friend deficit. who, uh, I have a friend who weighs herself like every day and multiple times a day. And she'll be like, I don't know what I can't. And I still have this one pound. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sick of just telling her. I'm like, you got to stop it. What are you doing? Yeah. Like you, the scale will move every hour if you want yeah. it to. Like it's, you're crazy. I, I always tell people not to focus on the number unless you're at a certain you know level. Just focus on how you look if you can and take measurements. I always feel like is important. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I actually, weigh my, okay. Oh, I was just going to say, it's funny because a lot of, a lot of girls and I, I, I'm not trying to be mean ladies. I've been there, but a lot of women will say, um, you know, I've been doing this, I've been working out and I haven't lost weight. So it must be that I'm gaining muscle. And I'm like, do you know how hard it is to put on a pound of muscle? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you're not getting more fit. You're increasing, you know, the amount of your fibers that are responding, putting on muscle do not rely on that belief here mm -hmm. that that's what's going on because women oh i don't want to get bulky again that's such an insult to the guys out here who are working their ass off to put on muscle it is hard yeah. work to put on even again one pound of muscle 
So, you know, again, I'm a big proponent of lifting. Powerlifting was the best thing I ever did for my body personally. Um, but yeah, women lift. It's so much more fun than cardio. Cardio is dumb. <laughs> I like it. All right. Well, um... oh. oh, I thought you said you like cardio. I no, like, I, oh. I, I do like cardio, but not... Um... Ah. Not more than lifting, obviously. Um, that's right. why I always put up videos of uh, my uh, deadlifting, squatting, and everything else. You um, can incorporate the cardio into the lifting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always recommend um, every morning. I usually do about a half hour on the treadmill at an incline, but <sighs> I never, I never do running. I, I, I used to run a lot. Um, I wouldn't recommend that people do as much running as I used to do. Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of enjoyed running in like uh because there's a bunch of like woods by my house and oh, like trails there's something beautiful about just going out for a jog in the morning and there's nothing can't but do like, it oh just i always wanted to but mm. i can't like people always say oh it's how i clear my mind and i'm like all my mind is doing when i run is flooding it with like you're gonna die can't breathe i hate you mm. <laughs> like so it just doesn't work for me there's a uh a trail by my house that um i used to go run on and there's just there's a creek that runs beside it and then all these trees and like the trees go over top of the trail and it's just like so peaceful and quiet. And I, I know there's just like, it, it's so peaceful when, and like the whole trail is seven and a half miles from front to back. And I used to run that. Um, I used to do it all the freaking time. Every single Saturday morning I'd get up and I uh, head down there around like six, six thirty, do it and then come home. Oh, I loved <sighs> it. Absolutely. Loved Actually, it. that does sound nice. Yeah. I, I don't live near woods, so, mm-hmm. but that does sound nice. Yeah. Yeah. Except for the running part. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, there's lots here in Pennsylvania. I wouldn't recommend, and I only did this once. I would not recommend. I did a 133 hour fast. That was the longest fast I ever did. Um, five days yeah five and a uh, five and a half five days Jeez. And, yep. and i do not recommend on the fifth day going to a trail at five in the morning and going running i did that and it was dark and uh it, yeah it, it you'll you'll see Sounds shit. Terrible. I'm, not, I'm not kidding when i say you'll see shit yeah <laughs> no i believe it yeah so we've been shooting the shit for like an hour and a half I really, yeah. really enjoyed this conversation. I enjoy all the rabbit holes that we went down. Um, there was no specific target at the beginning of this chat, but I'm, like I said, I think people are really, really going to enjoy this. Um, I know I definitely did, and we'll definitely have to do it again sometime. Uh, Meredith, where can everybody find you? What do you got going on? That's oh. cool. And um, are you going to be taking on like the next OJ Simpson or anything like that? No. Uh, I'm at Fletch Her Cox on Twitter. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, and I'm on that on Instagram, but I don't really post on Instagram. Um, I'm not doing anything that interesting. I'm in the California LP. Me, Scott, if anybody, you know, want to come out, hit me up. Um, good friends with our new chair, Adrian Malagon. If you want to find him on Twitter, he's out there. And we're doing, we're trying to do big things now that we've completed the uh, Mises takeover in California. Mm-hmm. And also, no banning pit bulls. Yes, yes. I wish my pit bull was up here pit right now. Rule. Yeah, yeah. Fuck all the up. Uh, Pitbull haters, so I, I fuck yeah. Matt Walsh. I'm over him. Yeah, well, fuck Matt Walsh and all the Daily Wire people because they said, um, yeah, oh yeah. Uh, M- Michael Knowles had uh, said, uh, I know some people like him, but we should obviously kill all the pitbulls. And I remember uh, Phil Labonte from All That Remains had tweeted at him and said, "Come and try." And uh, somebody said, "Oh, you're one of those people I heard about." Like he, I can't remember what the person said, and he said, "No, I'm one of those gun nuts you heard about." I was like, <laughs> "Yes." So uh, yeah. Yeah, Pipples rule. They're the best dogs in the world. Fuck everybody. Yeah, I agree completely. I'll let and my dog eat you. Yes, yes. Um, well, my, my dog would probably lick him to death. If anything, um, 
yeah, yeah. She she doesn't have a mean bone in her body. All right. Well, uh, Meredith, we'll uh, call her quits there. If you don't got anything else, no. Good awesome. talking to you. Yeah, of course. Well, we'll definitely do it again. I really appreciate your time. And um, until next time, everybody, make sure you go check out these shows. Awesome sponsors, TigerFitness.com, the world's best electrolytes as well, DrinkLMNT.com slash In Liberty and Health, and Fox and Sons Coffee. Use code Kyle at checkout. I probably should have plugged that at the front, but that's okay. Um, until next time, everybody, thank you for listening. Leave reviews and take care. <laughs>